What's up, y'all? We are back with another edition of the DMVR Rams podcast. As always, I am your host, Justin Michael. Hope everybody had a good weekend. It's late night, Sunday night, probably Monday or Tuesday when you're listening to this. But we've got fall camp coming up, and I'm really stoked. It's going to be fun to finally get back up in Fort Collins, see this team in action. Obviously, we all have high hopes for what CSU could potentially be this season if that offensive line improves. And if that does happen, it could mean big things for Clay Millen in year two at CSU. In this pod, we are actually going to go through the entire conference. I'm going to give my preseason power rankings for the quarterback position. I did briefly, though, want to talk about the comments recently made by Sean Payton. Really went scorched earth on Nathaniel Hackett in a recent interview, and that's really rare for a football coach. I I would guess it would happen a little more frequently at the collegiate level just because you have rivalries and feuds and stuff. But man, I don't know if I've ever seen anybody go so bold as to say it was one of the worst coaching jobs in history, which is what Sean Payton did in regards to Nathaniel Hackett. To be fair, it was in the context of defending Russell Wilson and just pointing out that while a lot of people have been eager to bury the veteran quarterback, systemically, the Broncos were a disaster of an organization this past season from top to bottom. It was just a mess. One of the most pre-snap penalized teams in the entire league on both sides of the ball. They couldn't get a play in. It was just a train wreck. Not saying that Russ can't elevate his play. He obviously needs to be much better than what we saw last year. But to put everything on him that went wrong is just dumb. And, you know, Peyton, he probably went a little bit further than he should. But honestly, it was kind of refreshing because we want the coaches, we want the players to speak candidly. We want them to be honest. We complain that they always speak in cliches, but whenever anybody tells us how they really feel really about anything or steps outside of the lines of how these interviews typically go, if anybody goes outside the norm, it's met with shock and awe. And I honestly wish that we would get more of this. I wish more coaches would just be honest. It's way better for content. It's way more interesting. It's not going to happen. I mean, Peyton already had to backtrack You don't want to isolate yourself amongst the coaching community or put some type of target on your back because the truth is, while we all clamor for the truth or we claim that we want it, whenever coaches or players are honest, it's typically something that is met with a pretty negative reaction. They really get crucified for it in the end. And that's why we end up with all these cookie cutter responses, all these cliches that get tossed around in basically every single interview. I don't know. I guess I just wish that it wouldn't be considered such a big deal when a coach speaks negatively as long as they're telling the truth. I mean, he didn't say anything that wasn't true. We all witnessed it. He probably could have, you know, dialed it back a little bit been a little bit more discreet. But I just like it when players, when coaches, when they speak freely, when they tell us how it really is instead of speaking in cliches or being all buddy buddy. It's just it's boring. It's it's like when you ask a player about a rivalry and they have to give the, oh, it, it's just another game. Like the border war is not just another game. And honestly, that's not what I even want to hear. If the border war is just another game to you, you shouldn't be on the field for CSU or for Wyoming because it means a hell of a lot more than that. Anyways, I know the situation doesn't really have anything to do with CSU. I just as a avid football consumer, as most of you guys are, probably all of you, I think everyone would enjoy it more if there were more interviews like this, if people would be willing to just speak the truth. It's not like an intelligent football audience 
would think that Hackett did a good job last year. If we want to go full conspiracy mode, you could argue Peyton knew that this was going to be the reaction. He planned to apologize the entire time, and it was just him trying to set the narrative that it wasn't all on Russ. I mean, the only way this is going to work out is if Russell Wilson and Peyton are on the same page, if the team believes in that cohesion, if they believe in the QB himself. I wouldn't doubt that Peyton is calculated enough to be able to kind of be pulling some strings here. Something to consider, but we've already spent way too much time on this. This was supposed to be like a 30-second footnote, and in typical JTM fashion, I went on for four minutes. So let's talk about some quarterbacks. Let's get into these preseason power rankings. But I do got to tell you guys about Backus and Shanker, because when you get hurt, Backus and Shanker is here to help. Backus and Shanker wins for Colorado families. They have been helping those who are seriously injured in Colorado for more than 25 years. They're free until they win money in your case. No upfront fee to speak with you about your case. No fee while they work on your case. No fee unless they win your case and win money for you. Backus and Shanker has won over $1 billion for their clients, now with even more locations, serving all of Colorado, including neighborhood offices in Denver, Aurora, Inglewood, and Fort Collins. Backus and Shanker has the strength and power to win your case with more than 30 lawyers and 100 staff. Backus and Shanker helps with all kinds of injury cases when you weren't at fault, car accident, motorcycle, rideshare, pedestrians, trucks. They can even help if you're injured at work. Call Backus and Shanker at 222-2222 to find out if you have a case for free. Backus and Shanker wins. Also, I don't know if you guys knew this, but professional rugby has returned to Rugby Town USA. Your hometown American Raptors have begun a six-match homestand against six South American rugby teams to make up the brand new Super Rugby America's competition. Find the full schedule at AmericanRaptors.com. Also, check out the weekly DNVR Rugby podcast hosted by CSU alumnus Colton Strickler. You can follow him at Colton Strickler. Also follow DNVR Rugby at DNVR underscore rugby to keep up with the latest news. You can learn rugby with his 101 pods, his exclusive interviews with everybody in the know. When it comes to rugby, my guy Colton has you covered on everything that you need. And hey, if you're a former athlete and you didn't get the ticket you wanted, check out the opportunities available at Infinity Park. Rugby may just be your next ride. They take athletes from all kinds of backgrounds, football, basketball, track, wrestling, you name it. They already have the skills, the athletic profile to compete in rugby. And it's been a really successful program for the Raptors. So definitely check that out if you are interested. For fans, tickets for all the matches are just $10. Children 12 and under are free. If you can't make it, watch all of the American Raptors matches live on ESPN+. Plus. All right, now that we have paid the bills, let's talk about the gunslingers in the Mountain West this fall. I think it's a really intriguing group of quarterbacks. I think there's a couple of guys that are in for... Uh, potentially really big seasons after kind of flashing this past year. There's a lot of different factors that go into this experience, uh, projection, system fit, talent around you. There's a lot. And obviously, this is a pretty subjective process. It's a topic that we'll revisit throughout the year. We'll probably come back to it after non-conference play, then maybe uh, halfway through the conference slate and again at the end, something like that. We'll come back. So if you hate my list now, Hey, you may hate it less a month from now. You may hate hate it more, but either way, come back and check it out. But just please recognize that the list I'm giving you right now is not what I think definitively is the ranking of the quarterbacks 1 through 12 in terms of talent or even what this power ranking will look like a month from now. But Clay Millen, for instance, is a guy who I really believe in. I think his ceiling is as high as any quarterback in this conference. He has all the arm talent. But we're obviously counting on him to make a pretty big leap. And a lot of that is due to circumstances out of his control, the offensive line. He's going to have 
much better talent at wide receiver, all that. Based on what we've seen so far, though, it wouldn't be fair to put him above some of these other quarterbacks. He's still really high on my list just because of what he flashed in just such wonky circumstances this past fall. But keep all this in mind. That's all I'm saying. Starting at number one, we are going out to the Bay. Chevin Cordero, San Jose State starting quarterback. He is the most experienced quarterback in the league. This is his sixth year in the conference. Started at Hawaii, came over. But he's just found a really solid fit under Brent Brennan out there. He's really dynamic. He's rushed for at least 200 yards and multiple rushing touchdowns in each of the last four seasons. He's thrown for 2,000 plus yards in each of the last three, along with double-digit TDs. He's a guy that I've always really enjoyed watching because he's really dynamic. He runs around out there. He improvises. He makes plays. He's got a big arm. He did have to rein in it a little bit, though. There were times where he took way too many chances with the football. But I did think he was better in that regard last year. The the dynamic ability, he had nine rushing touchdowns, which was huge. 23 TDs, only six interceptions. Three of those came between the, the bowl game and the season finale against Hawaii. But I just don't think that people realize quite how good he was for them last year. I mean... They lost a tight game at Auburn, 24-16. They lost at Fresno State, 17-10. They lost at Utah State, 35-31, or their season looks completely different if you know two of those go the, the opposite way. They're playing for a Mountain West championship. I guess if we're nitpicking his game, could definitely be a little more efficient, 61% this past year. But, I mean, that's on 427 attempts, 3,251 yards, also rushed for 265. And that's only in 12 games total. They only played 11 regular season games because their New Mexico game ended up getting canceled after the Spartans uh, unfortunately had a, a freshman running back, Camden McWright, tragically pass away. But I mean, if they played another game, it wouldn't be unrealistic to think that he would have thrown for 3,500 yards, 25 plus touchdowns, maybe got one more rushing touchdown, which would be double digits for the year. There aren't a lot of guys across the country with that type of capability to have a season with 25 plus touchdowns through the air, 10 on the ground, 3,500 yards, 60 plus percent completion percentage. I mean, those are really significant numbers. And with wide receiver Justin Lockhart still in the picture, former air raid guy, started his career at Nevada with Jay Norvell. He's one of multiple receivers that ended up with the Spartans this past season. But with Lockhart back, he's in the preseason all conference mix. Solid running back and Kyrie Robinson as well. I just think that this is going to be one of the better offenses in the conference, or at least it's going to have to be if San Jose State is going to want to, you know, be in contention at all. They do play a really challenging schedule, and that's why I think I had them fifth in my preseason poll. Their first two non-con games are at USC and hosting Oregon State. Their first two conference games are Air Force and Boise State, which certainly is not. Not forgiving Toledo, deceptively a tough game as well. Even so, though, I think statistically, Cordero probably going to be one of the top one or two guys in the league. He was my preseason pick for uh, the all-conference team. Generally speaking, I think it's a safe bet to just go with experience in college football, especially at the quarterback position. And that's why he's my number one. At number two, sticking with dynamic playmakers, I've got Taylor Green of Boise State. Would not shock me at all if he finishes this season at number one. I do wonder if you're factoring statistics in, which I do think have to be in the equation when it comes to all-conference awards, power rankings, that type of stuff. I don't know if his numbers are going to be on par with 
with Chevin or even potentially Clay Millen if CSU's offense takes a big leap. Just because I think Boise is going to lean on that ground game so much, they have the best backfield in the league. It's going to be a strength of theirs. It's going to be a benefit to Green that it's not going to all have to be on him. But I think he's in line for a really big year. Six foot six, 215 frame. Early on, they really leaned on those rushing abilities when he took over for Hank Bachmeyer, and it's good that he did. That season was going nowhere. It was sputtering. Taylor Green comes into the picture, completely changes everything. The offense opens up. They go for 10 more points a game. And I thought we just saw a lot of growth from him as the season went on. If you're a Boise fan, what was particularly encouraging is you managed to beat San Diego State, Fresno State, and Air Force with him while he was still kind of finding his uh, his groove as a passer, had some picks early on, you know, three interceptions in his first three games. And he didn't throw another pick until the Fresno State game in the season finale. Did have a rough game there, 17-38 in the, the Mountain West Championship game. One touchdown, two picks, only eight carries for 30 yards. So Fresno State kind of made him, you know, look like a freshman, which is fair. That was a really good team. But he bounced back with a pretty good game against North Texas in the bowl. Didn't have to do a ton, 13-22 through the air, 137 yards, one touchdown, no pick. Did have 121 yards on the ground and a pair of rushing touchdowns. But I'm really just interested to see if he can build off what we've already seen. I do think he's going to have to show more as a passer consistently. But, I mean, he picked CSU apart. He was, that was probably his most efficient game of the season. Yeah, definitely was. 24-30, 80%, 305 yards, two touchdowns. He was really good in the losing effort at BYU, though. That was one of his more impressive performances as well, as was uh, the, the game against Utah State when he had four touchdowns. I just like that for a freshman, he seemed to really learn from his mistakes. It, it helps having that athletic ability. If nothing else, you know, you can just escape the pocket, make something happen with your legs in the collegiate game. That's a huge advantage. I mean, really any level, I guess the NFL has really gone towards the, the mobile quarterback as well. When you look at the, the top guys in the league, they all have some ability to move around a little bit. You don't have to be a Lamar Jackson, but Patrick Mahomes, man, how big were some of those runs in the playoffs? He had a couple of huge ones in the Super Bowl. And uh, that actually brings me to my third quarterback, Clay Millen, CSU, a guy who, as the season went on, did show a, a little bit that he can run a tad too. I wouldn't say that's the strength, but I mean, part of it was he was running for his life, but it was good that he learned to not just stay back there and take a beating. And hopefully with a better offensive line, with much more cohesion with his skill players, it's not all going to be on Torrey Horton. We're going to see him have a big year because he can throw with anybody. That arm talent is legit. I mean, when you're watching him in practice, it's live. He's got an NFL arm. And much like Green, I just like that he showed that he was learning from his mistakes. He had 10 touchdowns, six interceptions. Four of those interceptions came in the first three weeks of the season. The rest of the year, he threw two. Last two weeks of the year, four touchdowns, no picks. When they got Avery Morrow going, they had a run game to help him a little bit. When they got some some production out of Justice Ross Simmons and Lewis Brown and some of those other guys, Jordan Williams, that helped him a lot too. And I just think that we're going to see him build on that in year two, especially if the offensive line is even decent. I'm not saying they're going to be the best in the league or anything like that. Probably far from it. Air Force, Wyoming, they're going to have some really good O-lines. Boise should be pretty decent. But just give the guy a chance. Give him an opportunity to work through his reads, to be able to stretch the field. And big things are going to happen for this offense. He's just going to have to have the time to be able to do it. 
Now, there were some instances in which he held on to the football too long. Young quarterbacks do that, guys, especially when they don't trust their other receivers. Hopefully, that's not going to be the case this year. You bring in some quality transfers. I'm really excited about the SMU transfer, Dylan Goffney. I think Dallin Holker in the middle is going to be huge as well. Both of those guys are going to be safety outlets for him. It's going to open up the middle of the field, which is something that CSU could not attack at all last year. Made it so that defenses could just play cover two. Shadow Tory over the top constantly. Even still, he was making plays. But now Tory's going to have the the freedom, or not the freedom. He's going to have the benefit of having having talent around him. It's not all going to be on him. Justice Ross Simmons, another year more experience. Same with all these other receivers, Mackay Fox, Lewis Brown. They could be in for for big jumps. And all these are factors that should serve to benefit Millen. I think when you look at the the style of offense that the Rams want to play, that's obviously going to benefit him in terms of statistical production. I think he'll at least double the amount of touchdowns he threw in year one, if not potentially even triple. I don't want to get too carried away or put too lofty of, of expectations on him or anything like that. But Millen's in for a big jump, and it would not surprise me at all if when the season ends, he's at one on this list. All right. Now, this is where things get hard. I think the top three, you could debate the order, but I think the top three, at least going into the season, are, are pretty solid. Maybe somebody would would push back on that. I don't know. But at four, I've got Doug Brumfield, the UNLV starter, six foot five, 215 pounds, really came on strong at the beginning of the last season, unfortunately, was impacted by injuries. But when he's healthy and when he's rolling, he's a really dangerous guy, both with his arm and with his legs. He had a really solid stretch last year, starting with a win over North Texas, where he completed 78% of his passes, threw for 200-plus yards, tossed a pair of touchdowns, and rushed for a pair of touchdowns. Then they went into uh, Logan, took down Utah State, another great game, 67%, 217 passing yards, one touchdown through the air, two on the ground, the big key, no turnovers. They then followed that up with another solid win over New Mexico, and it really felt like the Rebels had something kind of going there. Three wins in a row under Marcus Arroyo. They started out you know, really solid, but unfortunately got injured at San Jose State, missed the rest of October, and he just wasn't really the same after that. Had struggled with some turnovers late in the season. UNLV as a whole just kind of lost its rhythm. After he rushed for five touchdowns in that three-game winning streak, he only had one more for the rest of the season. Only had two passing touchdowns and three picks over the final four weeks. And we're kind of just in wait and see mode. I am a believer in his physical abilities. I think the talent is there. New coach, new system. What does that look like? You know, you no longer have Kyle Williams who went over to Washington State. We're going to have to see if the veteran quarterback can kind of elevate this offense and, you know, kind of carry things during the transition here under Odom. But I do think that he's going to benefit from Brennan Marion coming in as the OC. Really solid hire from UNLV. I felt like I think in the long run, they're going to feel that they dodged a bullet with that whole Bobby Petrino situation. He's a guy at the FCS level that had quite a bit of success. He's a wide receiver coach at Hawaii, Texas, and Pitt in recent years. And they'll spread things out. They'll take advantage of Brumfield's athleticism, of his big arm. The big question for me is just outside of Ricky White, who is able to step up at the skill positions. I think CSU's got a a better receiving core top to bottom. Same with Boise State. But the main thing is I just want to see more consistency. I understand that injuries played a big role with their season last year. He's just got to do what he did in September for an entire season. All right, number five. 
potentially controversial because I don't even think he's officially been named the starter yet, but I'm going with UCF transfer Mikey Keene, who I think will be taking over for Jake Hayner at Fresno State. We haven't seen a ton of Keene recently, but he did play in 11 games in 2021 as a true freshman, completed 64% of his passes, 1,700 yards, 17 touchdowns, six picks as a true freshman for the Knights in 2019, or at 2021, excuse me. If it doesn't end up being Keen, I imagine it's Logan Fife, who's been on the team for a couple of years now, Hayner's backup. They really struggled when, when he was running the offense last year. Probably a big reason why Keen was recruited in the first place. CSU actually showed some interest, but made a lot more sense to go out to Fresno, where he had an opportunity to start. I'm a big believer in in Fresno State as a program. I think Tedford, one of the top coaches in the league. It is going to be an interesting situation for Keene because all of the leading skill guys from last year have moved on. Top three receivers, top rusher. Mims was a a back that I liked a lot. But in a small sample size, I really like what I've seen from Keene at UCF. And again, a, a lot of this comes down to my faith in Fresno State as a program. They're the only team in the conference that's averaged 30-plus points a game offensively for each of the last five years. Shout out to Phil Steele for that one. And out of all the transfers in the league, I just feel like Keen in Fresno is the safest bet to be a, a top-half quarterback when it's all said and done. Um, at, at number six, I've got another transfer, Dylan Hopkins at New Mexico. Former UAB starter comes over with his former offensive coordinator slash interim coach. And just in terms of what they had versus what they have now, I'm not sure there's anybody that upgraded in the country more than the Lobos. By the end of the year, they had a like a fifth string QB, former student manager, I think. So going from that to a multi-year starter with his coordinator, who's going to be familiar with the system, that's a huge leg out. They can hit the ground running in a way that most transfers wouldn't be able to do. It's the same benefit CSU had by bringing Millen over from Reno. Obviously, the offense didn't end up working out the way we thought, but that was a million different things. Transfers, the offensive line, y'all know the deal. But Hopkins can play. He's a major upgrade for them. He's got uh, 3,500 yards roughly over the last two seasons, 28 touchdowns, 11 picks. And on paper, at least, I would say that this is the best you should feel about UNM's QB situation since... 2016, probably you got to go back to Austin Apodaca, a former Colorado local kid who started his career at Washington State and transferred over. All right, we'll keep this going with the second half of the league, but I do want to shout out my friends over at Breckenridge Brewery. Breck makes a beer for any occasion. There's no better way to watch a game, to hang out with friends, to do anything really than doing it with an ice cold Breck brew in hand. Right now is the perfect time to try some of the peach wheat, so crisp, so refreshing, or my personal favorite, the Mountain Beach Sour. This is a perfect beer for summer, guys. It's perfect to have in the pool, really crushable, the perfect amount of sweetness and tartness. It pairs great with like a burger or a dog. Perfect to have during the Women's World Cup. And if you can't come to the DMVR bar, make sure you're watching at the Breck Farmhouse over in Littleton. They've got an awesome setup. And as always, make sure you check out the Breck Beer Locator at breckbrew.com. Find a brew near you. If you're chilling with a Breck brew, maybe poolside, maybe just lounging in the yard, you're going to want some sunglasses to go with it. Take on the sun with gear that's built to last. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered for the warm weather ahead with premium polarized shades and an affordable price. 
Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's just as good as any expensive pair we've worn. Durable frames, extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures. That's not all. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses backed by lost and broken replacements. So if you lose or break your pair, even day one, Shady Rays is going to send you a brand new pair, no questions asked, where your Shady Rays with confidence because they have your back long after you purchase. You can shop the entire collection at the brand new location over in the Park Meadows Mall. Full stop shop for all things Shady Rays. If you don't love your Shady Rays, exchange them for a new pair or return them free within 30 days. Shady Rays always has your back exclusively for our listeners. Shady Rays giving out the best deal of the season. Go to ShadyRays.com. Use the code DNVR for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 250,000 people. All right. All right. All right. Let's finish this up with seven through 12. It gets really tough here at the end. Um, at seven, I went Brandon Lewis, the former Colorado QB who will be starting for Nevada. He had three or four games in 2021 where he kind of looked like he could be something, got a decent frame, pretty decent arm. He also had some moments where he just looked completely in over his head. I do think he'll benefit from a change of scenery. I think things were just in a really bad spot with that program under Carl Durrell. The writing was on the wall. But I mean, it's a kid with a 6'6", 230 frame. He can move around a little bit. I think back to what he showed in his very first performance back in 2020 against Texas. I think it was the Alamo Bowl. But he rushed for like 75 yards and a touchdown. Completed, I want to say, 60% of his passes, something like that. He was solid in that game. He had a nice performance out in Tucson and went over uh, Arizona in the 2021 season. Even in a losing effort at Oregon, he was pretty impressive that day. 25 of 33, 76%, 224 yards, three passing touchdowns, no picks. I'm just saying, we've seen him flash talent. I do think you can work with that as a coach. To me, it just feels like a guy who needs to get his confidence back. And again, that just comes back to the the original point that I had. I think he's really going to benefit from a change of scenery. Like I genuinely feel that the expectations coming off of a fluky 2020 season where CU kind of outperformed expectations was that they would build off of that on 2021 when that wasn't really an accurate representation of where that roster was at talent-wise. Darrell was a disaster of a coach. And I just think too much of the blame ended up getting thrown on on this young quarterback's shoulders. He was kind of the scapegoat. That's not to say that he didn't have some stinkers. There were some games where he just looked awful. They couldn't do anything. But at least right now, I'm putting that more on staff and on the program. All right, number eight, we've got San Diego State's Jalen Maiden started the season as a safety this past year, ended up moving over to quarterback. And, you know, San Diego State's offense kind of found a groove once he did. He's not very impressive as a passer. Kind of reminds me of the Sam Neuer situation at CU. I mean, there was a reason that he was converted to safety at one point. But he came in, the offense found its groove. They're able to stretch the field a little bit more. He can do some things with his legs, rush for 231 yards and three touchdowns this past year. But only 12 passing touchdowns to 10 interceptions. He's got to improve there drastically. And frankly, the only reason I have him over the the next guy, Braden Schrager at Hawaii, is that it just led to more team success, which, you know, that may or may not be fair. San Diego State's roster, obviously, in a much better position than Hawaii. Schrager coming off of a year where he flashed some stuff in the in the run and shoot, completed 55% of his passes, 2,348 yards, 13 touchdowns, 10 picks. Seven of them, though, came in two games. He threw four interceptions and a loss to Western Kentucky, 
three interceptions and a loss to Utah State, if you can kind of eliminate some of those disastrous type performances, you don't feel uh, quite that bad about him. They were competitive. That's the thing about Hawaii. It was more about their rushing attack, I would say, than, than Schrager, but he can stretch the field on you. Um, I think he, by the end of the year, has a, a strong chance to be in that like 5-6 range when it comes to the power rankings. But as of right now, he comes in at 9. At number 10, we're basically going to glance over it, but we're just saying Air Force. We don't know who it's going to be. They let out so little information that it's basically pointless and even trying to to go through it. There's three guys that it could end up being even as of media days. We don't know. That said, I'll still put their situation above Cooper Legos at Utah State, number 11, and Andrew Peasley, former Utah State quarterback at Wyoming. I don't really like bashing college kids, so going through all their deficiencies seems kind of pointless to me. But neither of these are, are going to be efficient offenses. Legos takes way too many chances with the football. He can run around a little bit. Uh, Peasley as well. I guess both of those guys can make some plays with their legs. I also think that if both of those guys played the entire games last year, CSU wins both of those games. It was the fluky situation where the backup coming in ended up being beneficial for those respective teams. Yeah, it's just not a good situation. Wyoming especially. I think Peasley is a good dude um, in a really tough spot. Fortunately for them, they're going to be able to run the football. Their O-line's great. They've got a couple of really talented running backs. I just feel like they have a ceiling of where they're going to be able to to go as a program this year, despite how much I like that O-line, despite the fact that they have the best front seven in the conference. That D-line is nasty. I mean, they've got four guys that could that could arguably be all-conference selections. Easton Gibbs, one of the best backers in the conference, if not the best linebacker. But frankly, I just don't believe in Peasley as a passer. I think it's going to handicap Wyoming's potential. I don't believe in Legos as a quarterback. I think Utah State's been fairly fluky. They've won so many one-score games these past couple of years, and at some point, you know, it's going to regress back to the mean. But yeah, that's my preseason Mountain West quarterback power rankings. I hope you guys enjoyed this. Definitely peak offseason content. But uh, fortunately, we're less than a week away from camp coming up on Friday. Cannot wait. It'll be a blast. Also, Thursday the 10th at 10.45 a.m., I will have Jay Norvell live from the DMVR studio again, so make sure you guys keep your eyes on that live on the DMVR Sports YouTube, so keep your eyes out for the link. Obviously, you'll be able to watch it afterwards if you miss it live. For those that just want to listen to the audio, it will go into the normal podcast feeds as well, so you don't have to do anything out of the ordinary if you don't choose to. Uh, We'll have a lot more live shows this year, though. going to have a, a weekly preview live show going to have a post-game live show. Still trying to figure out the logistics of what some of that will look like, but exciting stuff. Should be the the biggest season of DMVR Rams coverage ever, and really thankful for all of you continuing to support the content. Much love, y'all. We'll have another pod in the morning. Peace. Scummy like Martin Scarelli, turn jam into jelly, then drink it like juice. But water's the truth, so I sip on that too. Skinny looking kid with no car keys, like the only thing I drive is RCRV. He's got the stash like Steve Harvey. Oh, I'm gnarly.